All right, I'm, I'm moving ahead with uh, sermon number two in this series that I'm calling Rooted, and it has to do with the ways our faith is rooted, is held solid in place. And, and I'm doing this series on, on the idea of being rooted because in this time where, as a church, we're moving towards a focus on renewal, that often renewal brings all these opportunities for new things, for change, and, and that's necessary. So some of that is coming. But it's also such a good reminder that even as the world around us changes, as maybe our families and our own friends and our situations in life change around us, and as even we see some things in our church here change around us, that there are, even among those changes, some things that hold us rooted, solid, firm, things that don't change, things that remain things that keep our faith solid and secure. So, so that's what we're looking at in this series of, of what it means to be rooted. And last week I began with the idea of abiding, that one of the things that keeps our faith solid is, is abiding. And we looked at that story from John 15 of the vine and the branches, and that we remain, we abide in Christ. Today I want to move on to an idea that maybe does not come to mind when you think of being rooted in faith. In fact, maybe this doesn't come to mind as as a part of faith at all for some of us. It's the idea of vision. That's something we don't think about in terms of our own faith very often, is it? What it means for us to have vision. Vision, I think, is one of those things that maybe we associate with a few other areas of life. Vision, of course, is a reference to, to sight, to eyesight. It's the ability to see, and, and maybe we think of vision then maybe um, more in the corporate world and in business organizations as organizations have leaders that, that have vision. They cast vision of where that organization goes and what it does and how it gets there and some of those things. But vision, vision really at its core is just the ability to see, to see around us. And I want us to catch into that because vision then as the ability to see is the ability to understand and recognize what's going on in the world right in front of you. And so these visionary leaders that you see in some organizations, it's not that they create vision because vision is not created. It's not that they imagine vision because it's not imagined. Vision starts with Just seeing what's in front of you right now and being able to articulate that. Articulate what's happening in front of you right now in a way that allows you to find a direction of where your preferred future should point towards. That's vision, right? That I see what's in front of me right now and then I articulate that in a way that allows me to see a direction towards the preferred future that I'm desiring to go to. That's vision. Now, this happens for each one of us. It's not just organizational leaders who do this. We all as individuals have a sense where there is vision in our lives. Now, some of us are aware of that. We know it. And, and, and we're tuned into that. And we live in ways that express vision. Others of us, maybe we're completely unaware It's happening, we're doing it, but we don't recognize it. We don't see it unfolding. I want to highlight that today, especially as it 
relates to our life of faith and what happens in our life of faith and how our life of faith is rooted. So, we're going to look at a story that comes from the end of Genesis. And in this story at the end of Genesis, there is in this story two examples. Two examples of vision that I want us to see and pick up on here. One example of vision is the example of of a group of people who they have a vision, but they're not really aware of it happening. It's taking shape around them, but they're not intentional about how that vision is connected to where God is and what God's doing in their faith. The other example is an example of someone who does see a vision where God is connected and working among that. Okay? So those are the two examples we're going to look at and then apply some of that to how we live as God's people. Sometimes unaware of the vision that we're working within. Other times, an example of how we can be aware of that vision. Okay? So, Genesis 50, this is the very end of the book of Genesis. And I'm going to begin at verse 15. This is the end of the life of Joseph. And I'm going to make an intentional pause between these examples so that you can see this, all right? Examples of vision from Genesis 50, beginning at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father, Jacob, was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left us with these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of your of of the servants of the god of your father when their message came to him joseph wept his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him we are your slaves they said that's one example now the other example of vision continuing but joseph said to them Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, 
He was placed in a coffin in Egypt. That's the end of the book of Genesis. I want to flip forward to just one verse to share with you now that comes from Exodus. This is from Exodus chapter 13, and this is the part of the Exodus story where the Israelites are leaving Egypt. They're packing everything up to go. That Pharaoh told them, that's it, get out. So, from Exodus chapter 13, just one verse, verse 19, it says this, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath, he had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Vision. Did you see those two examples in that passage? Two examples of how vision unfolds. And what that looks like, that Joseph carries a vision. But his brothers had a vision as well and how that works out. So, so let, let's spend a little bit of time this morning just unpacking that a little bit, what it means for these two examples to have vision. And by seeing these two examples, maybe that shows us a little something about ourselves and how we can be encouraged to have a vision that God desires for us to have as well. A vision that is rooted in our faith and keeps us rooted with God. All right, so first of all, let's talk about the brothers. These brothers of Joseph who have this vision. Maybe we don't see it that way, but just look at the activity of the story. Look at what's coming towards them in that story. That these brothers, they recognize, they recognize that they were rather cruel to Joseph. They know that they were bad to him previously in life. And if you're not familiar with that story, it was many years before when Joseph had that coat of many colors. You know that story? And the brothers were jealous, so they tore that coat off him, and, and they dipped that coat in the blood of a dead animal. And, and then they sold Joseph as a slave to go to Egypt and to live there as a slave. And they went back to their father, Jacob, and showed him this torn-up bloody coat and said, Joseph must have been killed by a wild animal. Jacob thought his son was dead. But really, Joseph lived as a slave for many years in Egypt, eventually rising to the point of being second in command under the Pharaoh and saving the entire nation of Egypt by planning to work their way through a famine and having so much surplus from what he saved that even when Joseph's own family, his brothers and his fathers back in Israel were suffering from the same famine, Joseph had enough food in Egypt to share with them as well. That's how the story progresses. And then we reach this point in Genesis 50 where Jacob, the father, dies of old age. And then we picked up that story here today where the brothers say, you know what? Maybe Joseph was only being nice to us out of respect for dad. And now that the father is gone, he's going to get even. That's what's going on in their minds. You see that in the story, right? They're worried about that. That Joseph was now going to get his revenge because Jacob's out of the way. So what do these brothers do? They, they go to Joseph and they plead. And 
They don't even bring their own apology. Did you see that in the story? They don't come to Joseph and they don't say to him, Joseph, we were so bad to you and we are so sorry and we ask you to forgive us. They don't do that. What do they do? They, they go to Joseph and, and they try to leverage the authority of their father who's now dead. So instead of them saying, Joseph, we're sorry, they go to Joseph and they say, you know what? Dad wanted you to forgive us. So we want you to do what dad said. Forgive us. That's what they go to Joseph with. And then they follow up with that by coming and throwing themselves at Joseph's feet and saying, we will live as your slaves. Because being your slave sounds better than you getting revenge. Being your slave sounds better than being tortured in prison and then killed. That's what they thought was coming. Now, there's a vision here. These brothers have a vision. I don't know they're intentional about it, but they have a vision of a future that they're looking towards. And what they see in that future is they see a future where their brother is going to take revenge on them. And so the best possible preferred future that they can come up with in their own minds is, so how about we just live as slaves? Maybe we can convince Joseph just to let us be slaves. That's what's in their mind. That's their vision. That's what they see as their future. Look at how this vision works. Look at some of the features that we see in this, the vision of these brothers. Let's notice this one first of all, that this is a vision that is inwardly focused. Inwardly focused in that that whole first section of this passage, there was not one reference at all to, among these brothers, to what God is doing, what God has done, what they trust God to continue to do. They completely ignore or refuse to accept the activity of God in what they see as their vision of who they are. Now, remember what I said about vision starting out this message, that that vision begins with seeing the reality in front of us what's right here now, and then articulating that reality to point towards a preferred future. They're seeing a reality that's right in front of them, but it's all inwardly focused. It's just about us, just about me. It's a vision that is entirely self-centered to the point where it does not even see or account or recognize where God may be at work, what God may be doing. They're completely blinded to that in their vision. They don't see it because they're so inwardly focused. You see that? That example of the vision they have. It's inwardly focused. Second thing that we see about this, this is a vision that's all about self-preservation. It's about my survival. It's about what I get. It's about my place of getting ahead just about them and their survival, self-preservation. Now, now on the one hand, let's not dismiss the value of self-preservation. A farmer plants seeds in the spring so that crops will grow, so that there will be a harvest, so that there will be food to eat because you need food to survive. That's self-preservation. That's not a bad thing in that sense. But 
farmers grow food that don't just feed themselves, but they have food that also then goes to market to feed others. That their view of preservation there is not just about me, not just about my place, not just about my survival, but it's about helping the world to preserve and be a better place and move forward and maintain. So there's a unique piece of self-preservation here in this example that is entirely inward on their own survival. Churches can do this. Um, Some of the statistics that that I read and look at and and go through in in the work that I do show us that in North America, 75% of churches are in a state of decline. That's three out of every four churches are declining. And that's true across the board in North America. I don't, doesn't matter what denomination we're talking about, what brand of theology that you apply to what you have here. So it's not just an example for us, but it's shared everywhere. I think in that context, a context where the majority of the churches around us, and, and we'll be honest, we're one of them, have seen decline over the last several years. And statistics now also show that since 2020 with pandemic, that rate has dramatically accelerated. The rate of which people are leaving churches. There may be a default vision that kicks in for churches in that context. A default vision that circles towards self-preservation. We just got to survive. It's just about us maintaining what we have. But that vision that's only about self-preservation misses what's happening beyond and where the potential is, the possibility to go. And that may happen for each one of us individually at points in our life as well, right? That we all face seasons in life where maybe our vision of where our life is going is, I just got to make it to the next day. It's just about me surviving to tomorrow, And maybe that's all we can see and all the further we can look. It's just about a self-preservation. One more thing I want us to note in this vision that these brothers have. It's a vision of fear. See that? They're terrified. They're scared. And this fear that they have, it comes from anxiety about unresolved conflict. This whole thing that went down between them and their brothers so many years ago, they never resolved that conflict. And it still haunts them. They're still controlled by it. Their whole life since that time has been living in the fear of the shadow of their brother who they're convinced is going to get back at them. Their whole life they've lived moving forward in that way. And so their vision is clinging to that place of fear about this unresolved conflict that takes place in them. That sometimes we too, we too without intentionally going about this, there there may be fears or anxieties in our world or in our life that without us meaning to, they inform and shape our vision of who we are and where we're going and who our allies can be and who our enemy is and how we're going to navigate so that 
We're not the ones who are being clobbered, but let's navigate to a direction to where we can be the ones doing the clobbering to them. Sometimes our vision, without meaning to, takes on that direction, doesn't it? That instead of bringing people together, it's a vision for us in the way we live that tears people apart. Those are some of the things that we see working through these brothers of Joseph the vision that they're working from and that they're working towards. Now, let's hold against that in this same passage, the response of Joseph, because look at what Joseph does. First of all, in Joseph's vision, it's not inward, it's outward. Outward in the sense of, in those very first words that Joseph says, he acknowledges, but look at what God is doing. But look at where God is at work. I know you guys meant for this to be something bad, but... God used this for something else. I know life didn't go in a way that exactly made me the happiest person, Joseph would say. I mean, he spent years of his life being a slave in prison. But God was doing something. God was at work. That we see here in this counterexample of Joseph, an example where Joseph says, even with all the situations around me that may not been what I've, I desired to have or to see or to be living in, I'm going to intentionally focus my attention on what God's doing. Where is God at? What is God up to? Where is God at work right now in the life that we have before us? Right now. Joseph names that. He names where God is at work. He puts words to it. He articulates it. I think that's instructive for us. It's instructive for us as people who walk in faith with God to be people who take the time to look around us and to name it, to say it. Here's where I see God at work already around me. And I don't know that all of Joseph's stories about that were happy stories. But they were still stories of God working. And that may be true for us as well. We may have stories of, sometimes we call those things God sightings. And often when we do that, those are things that we lift as celebrations and joys. But also to remember in the struggles and in the trials, there's places for God to be there too. So Joseph names that. His vision is aware of it, of where God is at and what God is doing. It's outward focused that way. Secondly, Joseph has a vision. He sees a vision that's expansive. What I mean by expansive is it sees beyond himself. Look at these last instructions that he gives. He says, you know what? God is going to keep his promise, his promise about this holy land of Canaan, and I'm not going to see it. I myself am not going to get there. I'm going to be gone before that happens. But Joseph gives instructions, instructions that shows his vision for what God has promised. Right? Joseph gives instructions that shows his belief in God's faithfulness. And it doesn't matter to Joseph at this point that he himself is not reaping the benefit of that. That part doesn't even matter to his vision. 
Joseph says, look at where God has placed me. Look at what God has blessed me with. Look at what I can do with those blessings now and what I can do and share with all of you. And I'm not going to get a return on that. And that's okay. Because I see what God's doing and where God is going. And I'm going to keep my vision on that. Sometimes we face those same opportunities as well, right? Opportunities where maybe we do see a place where we can give and contribute and be a part of moving something forward and we're not going to get anything back ourselves out of it. There's no personal return that's going to come directly to you. But in its advancement of the vision of what God is doing and where God is going and a contribution that makes towards that, that's expansive. It sees beyond just me. And it sees beyond just us. It's expansive. A seeing where God is working beyond us. And then the third thing here is that this is a vision of love. Where these brothers have a vision of fear that just circles in on themselves and divides people against each other, Joseph shows an example of vision of love where it's about including and embracing others, not pushing away, not dividing, not defining who's the enemy that I need to clobber and get even with, but who can I extend the grace of God to? Who can I fold in that feels far out and separated? Who is there in front of me that is living in this vision of fear and self-preservation that I can reach out to and connect with and say, you know what? You don't have to live that way. Because that's what Joseph does here, right? He sees the vision of his brothers and he sees how bad that vision is. And he says to them, you don't have to live like that. That does not need to be your vision. I'm going to extend a vision of love that embraces and includes you in what God is doing and where God is going. It invites others in. You see those two examples as they come that way. These examples that are instructive for us. But these are examples that point us forward as well. Uh, we, we know and we understand that so many of these stories from the Old Testament, they point forward to Jesus. This, this story of Joseph is no different than that that the story of Joseph points us forward to Jesus. It, it gives us an example here to maybe ponder or consider God's vision. That God has a vision as well. That God started, this goes all the way back to Genesis 3. It, uh, Genesis 3 is the first sin. Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. And at that first sin in the Garden of Eden, God comes and confronts it's Adam and Eve and, and the tempter. Satan, the serpent in that, in that garden. And he speaks to each one of them and to the tempter, to Satan, to the serpent. God says in Genesis 3, here's what's going to happen. Here's the vision that I'm putting out there now. There's going to be a day, a day when you're going to strike the heel of the one that I send, but he's going to crush your head. That God already at the very beginning paints a vision a vision of that preferred future where he is going to take his people. And all of those stories of the Old Testament lead towards that moment. That moment of the cross. 
that moment when Jesus comes and Jesus says, because my vision of a preferred future is a vision where all these people that I love and this creation that I love is redeemed and restored, that I'm going to work towards that vision. And Jesus does that by going to the cross and then rising from the grave so that we can be a part of God's vision, what God sees for his people, that our vision then recognizes God's vision. God's vision that he looks at you and he looks at me and he no longer sees that broken sinner. Says that those sins have been counted for. All of that was put on Jesus on the cross. When he looks at you and when he looks at me, now God sees the righteousness of Christ, the perfect righteousness of Christ placed upon us. That's who we are in the vision of God, in where God is taking us, so that we may live as people. Who embrace that vision to be God's people, to live as God's people, redeemed, restored, and to live in ways that recognize where God is at work, that expand to see beyond just ourselves, and to embrace a vision of love that invites and embraces and includes those whom God is calling to himself. Joseph shows us an example of that so that we can see that in our lives too. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the examples that we see there. And Lord, we have to confess that, yes, we are people who have had these moments of unintentionally carrying a vision like these brothers, a vision that perhaps only looks at ourselves, a vision that perhaps is just about our survival and what we get, a vision that ignores you, what you're doing, and a vision that is held in our own fears and anxieties. God, help us to see from your word today the way that you came and you cast a vision by the work of your son, Jesus, so that we don't have to live like that anymore, but we can live the way like Joseph shows us, a vision that sees what you're doing, a vision that expands beyond just us, and a vision that embraces those around us in love. Help us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit working through us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.